Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn from Focus Compounding, on air live with Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in with us, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out all of our content that we have out on the internet. Go to focuscompounding.com to get access to investment write-ups from Jeff going all the way back to 2005. And of course, follow me on Twitter at, at focusedcompound. Uh, that is the best place to get access to everything that we push out into the investing universe. Um, as people have been sharing with us their Spotify uh, stats on how many okay. minutes they listened to us this past year. 4,414 minutes. Top 2% fan. Wow. Pretty cool. I know, right? Look at that. It's very humbling. That doesn't very mean nice. a lot of people are falling asleep listening to us. I know. That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> a lot of these people, they put us on when they can't fall asleep. Exactly. <laughs> it just keeps going all night long. <laughs> Anyways, uh, in today's podcast, Chef, I want to talk about what makes a land bank a value trap. Okay. And the reason I want to talk about this is as value investors, mm-hmm. we go and look for assets that we think are cheap. And every now and then you come across what you would consider a land bank or land holdings, uh, where if that entire uh, land was sold today, you could probably get a share price multiples of where it's currently trading uh, here mm-hmm. today. And a lot of those situations would be thought about as dead money in the market. Mm-hmm. So I just want to get your thoughts on this. I had sent over to you this uh, new interesting Value Investors Club write-up. Uh, I am not a uh, full member. I'm on mm. the delayed uh, access, which is fine, though, because a lot of these ideas actually don't move uh, no, so quickly sometimes. Yeah. yeah, so I'm like, uh, that's one of the things I do. Yeah. yeah, that's the first thing I always do is I look at the price. I'm like, mm. okay, in this situation, 1409, then I'll just go and you know type in just to, you know, MLP stock, just see what it is. Okay, 1487, not a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Um. But this one caught my eye, obviously, because we've uh, talked about Maui land and pineapple uh, before. We've done research on it. We've actually owned it for a very short period of time, I think. At a different short price. Short period yeah. of time. Mm-hmm. Yep, at a different price. Um, so, yeah, this write-up, this guy walks through changes that are happening at uh, the company. He's reading the tea leaves a little bit. They want to reincorporate to Delaware. They got a new CEO. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. There's a lot of different things going on. Our thought process uh, when we did research on it was, yeah, if they started to monetize these assets and do things with it, uh, this company's incredibly undervalued. Um, So I don't know. I just want to get your thoughts on this idea of like land banks converting over to, you know, uh, real companies uh, and when you would be interested in it, um, if you would ever be interested in it. Uh, this company is very illiquid. This obviously is not investment advice. So, you know, we're just conceptually talking about this at a high level. A few other companies that people often talk about, St. Joe, Alico, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Texas uh, uh, Land uh, and Trust. Is, there's a P in there. I forget. Is it Texas, yeah, Texas Pacific? Pacific? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the Tijon Ranch, mm-hmm. um, Beaver Coal, we've done research on yep. before. Um so yeah, we we've you know thought about uh, these ideas before. So I'm just curious, like when is a land bank a value trap, and when is it interesting to you? Uh, well, 
so this gets into the kind of efficient market type stuff, right? So you see a $20 bill on the ground. Why hasn't someone picked it up, right? So it's the same issue with net nets. Um, the argument that some people will make is that, you know, it's cheap for a reason, right? Yep. So um, now they are uh, often mathematically that's wrong that, you know, people have a tendency to think that if they're dead money for a long time, um, and then you make a lot of money in one short period, they don't appreciate it as much as if they, uh, the stock does something continuously. Yeah. So we talked about like national Western life insurance, um, over a long period of time, actually it will end up outperforming a lot of stocks. People complained about it, hated it forever. Um, throughout the entire time they held it, you could read things on value investors club where they complain about it. Um, but it compounded book value at whatever, six or 7% a year. And then it finally sold out at, you know, or, or agreed to sell out at a, at a, a good enough price. Right. So you've got that problem. Um, uh, you know, um, Maui Land and Pineapple actually is, was once a much higher priced stock. It was actually higher priced before the um, financial crisis. The same as like Q&A Land Association uh, it was the same thing where people were excited about real estate things. That stuff was all bubbly. Um, it was much, much higher priced right before that, that happened. Um, yeah, we're looking at $47, $46 a share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the stock is probably about the same place it was back in the 90s or something. Um, and uh, the and it's cheap, right? So it owns a bunch of different things. Um, but it's, re, you know, they do a whole analysis that's very deep in Value Investors Club. But I think it's pretty simple to look at it and say that it's very reasonably priced even versus um, uh, just the resort land that it owns. Right, because Hawaii is complicated, so the rest of the land that they own, what are there, you know, thousands and thousands of acres that has different issues for conservation stuff and whatever limited use of what it can do, but they have like 800 acres or something, which is inside a already partially developed um, resort that was developed from the last 50 years in a couple stages. Um, so just on that basis, the stock's quite cheap, um, or was quite cheap. It's I guess it's up a little bit now um it's been down ten dollars before or something so it's a closer 15 now um so they go into a very elaborate thing of trying to price it all out um the the risks obviously or the reason why it might stay at that price forever is um whether they actually have any interest in it so the 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 problem is you have a controlling shareholder steve case um whose sort of history is like uh kind of like a, uh, I mean, he has a connection to Hawaii, his family does and stuff, but his history is sort of for people today who don't remember his story. It's kind of like a Mark Cuban type story. He made a lot of money off of something totally unrelated, um, which had a big bubble and stuff. And then since then has just kind of um, owned different stuff, including, and this is another problem, another uh, real estate company, another land bank, another thing that owns a lot of land in Hawaii. So it's very unclear that this has anything to do with trying to make money. Um, so not necessarily a great investor or anything or a great businessman, um, but very rich and involved in a couple different companies. And it's very unclear whether he has any interest in actually making money off of this or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. those are the problems that people would have with that. Um, and so that potentially is why, um, it would have a low price is because it literally has a controlling shareholder and that controlling shareholder may or may not care whether it makes a lot of money and stuff. This, uh, um, value investors right up argues that he does care about that and that it's just a matter of taking time and developing the right way and all of that. Um, I, I don't really believe that, but that's what 
the write-up says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you say it's mathematically like it makes sense, what do you mean by that? I mean, if you take their research, which looks, I mean, this was a pretty long Valley Investors Club write-up. Yeah. They did a lot of research, you can tell, right? 1487, they say fair value is $79. Okay, whatever. Maybe mm-hmm. they're off by a little bit, but let's just take their math. Um, you know, if you, if it take if it's dead money for 10 years and then it hits, right. You're looking at 18% Kager. If it's dead money yeah. for 20 years and it hits, you know, you're still looking at a 9% Kager. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, you could argue if it does take 20 years with inflation and the value of land and everything, you know, that $79 could be a lot more. So how do you mathematically think about that? Uh, yeah. you know, you could put this in that bucket. I think, Dave Waters calls them like one day stocks or something along those lines. Like, you know, one day they could, they could hit and hit in a meaningful way if they do hit. So just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, um, you can figure it out mathematically by putting in different numbers like you did with the Kager thing there. Um, and even fairly small increases, uh, even very, very long times it takes for something to go up by a lot. Um, as long as it's not, eating up value in the meantime is going to pay off pretty well for you. So, you know, you can do the calculations that in this case, it's a huge discount, right? Because if we're talking about this, what is that? You know, let's say it's a, this is, you know, they're saying it's like 25 cents on the dollar or something. Um, the, the, this company. Um, so anything that's 25 cents on the dollar, uh, if it doesn't destroy value and stuff over time, you could own it for a really, really long time. Um, and it can outperform other things. Um, you might be protected in this case that they won't do other stuff, which is the biggest risk, right? If the company does other things. Cause so, so for instance, some people might've thought Nuvera, which was formerly new Ohm, um, was a cheap stock and maybe it was, but then it decided it would borrow a lot of money and build out fiber everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, and so then the stock was demolished and stuff when it stopped paying out a dividend and it did that. So it could look like it's a cheap stock and then they say, we're going to do other things. And then people get scared and, you know, Oof. um, yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that that won't work out for the better. It's just that now it's a bet on whether they do invest in the fiber stuff, whether the fiber pays off and all that. Um, so it's a different calculation. Um, I think. How levered are they now? They're not very levered right now. Uh, oh, they're about normally levered for a telecom, um, but they're going to be incredibly levered if they do this. Mm-hmm. But there's guarantees from the government about what you get paid on it and stuff in theory. Um but yeah, I'd say it would be a risky, very risky credit if it continues down that path. Um, so, uh, so, so you know, and and that's what you have with Maui Lane and Pineapple or like um, uh, Alico, same thing. That people expect it not to reinvest in other things. Uh, it pays out dividends and and sells off things, but they think that it's unlikely to do other stuff. Um, I don't. The difficulty, of course, is like, you know, you have to wait on the probabilities and all that and see whether you think it's actually that cheap versus other things. Um, I think that the it's likely inflated, the Maui Land and Pineapple um, valuation and some other ones, because there's a tendency for people to greatly inflate um, uh, the value in terms of like uh, appraisals that you get. Like like the thing to be careful about with Maui Land and Pineapple, right, is um, the value per acre is incredibly high that they're putting on it. And that could obviously collapse. You know, um, there was, there was a fire. People saw it from the, you know, people on the mainland saw coverage 
of this new story. And so it negatively affects the, you know, tourism and stuff. Um, there'll be a, you know, it could be negatively affected by changes in regulation or things. I mean, there's always things that could change something to be a less popular um, spot. It's completely dependent on tourism, the area. Um, the the prices that we're talking about are easily five, six times higher than expensive land in other parts of the country in the United States. So there's all sorts of things where it could collapse. I mean, um, Macau did, right? So like that would have had these kinds of prices. And then since COVID, it's just... Um, you know, if you had had a sum of the parts type thing based on owning real estate there, you would have thought, oh, it's really cheap. And then it turned out it's not. So, you know, you should be aware that it's like some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Um, and so is that a risk when you're investing in something? Possibly. Yeah. It would be a lot safer if it's some of the cheapest real estate in the world that, that and it still looks cheap, you know, or that it's a median level or something. Um, what was it that attracted you to a situation like cool? Human All Land uh, Association. Yeah. So, um, well, there were a few things there. One, the a difference here. So, Maryland Pineapple actually has cumulative uh, losses at times. They've they've lost a bunch of money. Um, they've mismanaged things. They've sold things that they shouldn't have sold. Uh, they've done things at inopportune times. They haven't borrowed money when they should have borrowed money. They've paid off things when they shouldn't. I mean, they've they've just. I mean, it's not worth as much as it was fifteen years ago or something. They've made very bad decisions about what to do and what to sell and everything. Um, with something like uh, a timber company right? You have some returns from it as it goes. And then um, that's able to cover a lot of the expenses, which they're able to do there. And then um, you have returns over time if they eventually sell everything. Um, so, you know, those are similar to, um, I think there's a tendency to, to overvalue, although it still would be very, very cheap, something like Marilena Pineapple versus something like a life insurance company, um, lawyers saying the National Western Life Insurance um, versus uh, EL Financial um, versus uh, we we own Virtu Motors at a low price. It's similar to this in terms of like a low price versus the the likely value of the stock if it was if the company was sold um, versus Canterbury Park versus Arc Restaurants. You know um, these are things that have operating businesses plus also have um, are cheap on like an asset basis or something. Um, I. <laughs> Because they're only valuing on an asset basis instead of also on like earnings and stuff, um, there can be a tendency to like this kind of thing and to attract value investors to this perhaps more than they should, um, which is fine. I mean, I, the, st the stock is cheap and something could happen with it. There's nothing wrong with owning part of it, with owning some of it in a portfolio. But I think that this tends to get people excited about in this kind of situation as compared to a company that has both operations and is cheap or something like that. Um, because the question you have to ask yourself is, would I want to speculate on Maui real estate? You know, do you I mean, the question that sometimes isn't asked is like, well, do you want to own real estate in Maui um, at those prices? You know, yeah, I'm looking for my. Trying to find a book. Um, the book I sent you on Santa Monica Partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he owned Texas Pacific land. Yes. And it was just interesting reading. I really encourage people to go and uh, buy that book on Amazon. And it goes through like, I don't know, 30 years or 40 years of investor letters. And you could just hear about different companies that he's owned or whatever. And um, 
what's interesting is there's a lot of them he's owned for like 20 or 30 years. And I think mm-hmm. uh, TPL was one of them and he had a cost basis and like, I don't know, very low, but you know, like this situation, right? When you have a company that let's say in 2010 was $11 a share and now you're at $1,652 a share. Mm-hmm. And at one point TPL was looked at as this value trap or dead money or land bank that's not going to produce anything. Like yeah. what did they do to go from an $11 share price to, you know, $1,652 here today. Well, some of these situations are literally like finding oil. Um, so if you're able to extract value from something that before was not valuable, then obviously that's that's what happens with these stock prices. Um, so, you know, th- that's also if you started to... Um, I mean, some of these also, you know, even ones that are just cheap on like a different basis, um, if they start paying out a dividend and stuff, then suddenly, um, you know, the stock would go up and everything because people re-rate it to base it on different things. Um, there's different ones that were, uh, um, let's see, like, uh, I mean, you had the 100 to 1 in the stock market. You saw some things from the um, Great Depression. Um for the next 40 years or something that had returns of over a hundred times and stuff without, with just being a recovery in an asset value because they owned hard assets and they recovered. So you had oil, you had timber, you had um, a variety of different things that people owned. And then obviously that had a lot of value. Um, You know, we've talked about NACO, NACO's natural gas, you know, they've bought oil, but their natural gas stuff is a hundred percent just was from uh, that. They own land for coal. And then natural gas became uh, an economically viable commodity and stuff. Obviously, 100 years ago, it, that wasn't intended. It just was there. Uh, QNL Land Association um, was a copper. Uh, it wasn't intended to be a timber thing. I mean, it made all of its money from copper. It just kept um, the timber. It, it didn't sell. When it sold off, when it exhausted the mineral rights and stuff, it kept the timber. Um, you know, and eventually one day Beaver Coal may be the same way where it's thought of as a coal company, but it will own what 50,000 acres or something of surface. Um, and, you know, that will eventually have value and be turned into different things. Um, so that makes a big difference. Do you think you'll stay away from land plays in the future? Or are you still super interested in them? What are some things you would like to see for you to be interested in uh, a land company? Is it already throwing off cash flow? How would you think about it? Something that's think about from the perspective of capital allocation. I mean, we know a few different ones, even, I mean, especially in the over-the-counter markets where, I mean, I was looking mm-hmm. at one, they have, I don't know, 70,000 acres or something like that. And they've converted the yeah. company to stuff on their land, right? Um, whether that's recreational cabins or, you know, still getting commodity sort of stuff, uh, cash flow off of it. I don't know. What are some things that you would like to see? Uh, well, some of the big things are uh, management, owners, et cetera, who are focused on um, getting good returns over time. I don't care if they're focused that much on selling it that fast. In fact, to some extent, I don't necessarily want that because, again, getting into like second level thinking about it, people put a, probably maybe too high a value on that, that there's a catalyst that it's going to be sold right now or thinking that there's no chance it will ever be sold. Like, um a company that is an operating company, but cheap, um, it, that just said it's going to sell out is Patriot Transportation. And that was one that I was always interested in, too small a stock, really. But um, because there's not a lot that's really attractive about it, except the um, uh, owners. So 
that they were going to find some way to monetize it um, if the business got really bad, which it did, um, as opposed to other ones where that might not be the, the case. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and that happens with lots of companies. You know, Virtu, the stock basically only went up, Virtu Motors in the UK, um, once all the other car dealers yeah. were sold. So once all the other publicly traded car dealers were bought out by basically people in the industry or management themselves taking it private, um, then people re-rated car dealers um, because they then rated off of like the control buyers and what they were paying for it. So, um, you know, the, the, there's a drag that you have to calculate and this is why I'd be careful because so say like um, I mentioned uh, EL Financial, right? So say imagine EL Financial is 50% discount to what its uh, liquidation value would be. Um, but it might return 7% a year on that e easily. I mean, someone could think it might return 10 or something, but I, I would just think that, you know, there's not a lot of stocks or bonds that are going to return 10. So let's say it returns six or seven or something. If you compound at six or 7%, you know, so that you're doubling in 10 years or something. Plus you're also getting um, the return from a, a value gap one day closing. Um, that could turn out to be big versus Maui Land and Pineapple, just because Maui Land and Pineapple would be carrying this negative 7% or something relative to it. So you just look at it as an opportunity cost of the two things. Um, if there are situations where you get something and uh, get paid to hold it, that is usually more attractive. Um, so even when I did arbitrage things and stuff, that's a significant part of the difference is with the common and the preferred and everything. One of the reasons you make this uh, decisions that you do between them is because you have like a positive carry on one versus the other. And so it's not just that value will close on them or that you can have a hedge, but that also you're not paying to have the hedge. You're actually getting paid to be hedged. Um, so those are the kinds of things that you want to look for. Um now, Maryland Pineapple, something could happen, you know, tomorrow. Obviously, this can happen with any of them. And if you buy at a low enough price, like Santa Monica um, would do, and then just hold it forever, it, it can work out for you. Um, you know, but you have to be careful too, because I mean, the it was probably trading at way too high valuation before the financial crisis, then way too low some years after the financial crisis, and it's unclear why that happens a lot of the time. I'm not sure why it's sometimes valued very cheaply and then very high, um, you know, relative to the value of the land and everything. But you can, it's not hard to figure out what you think acreage in uh, Maui is worth and all of that and, and then apply the calculation to it and just buy when it's, you know, let's say two thirds or less and um, sell when it reaches about what you think the fair value would be or something. Um, the value investors write up is much more involved in terms of trying to figure out when they think things will happen and all of that. Um, some of the things in it are interesting. Like it is true that they've changed some stuff with the company, which can be signs of something good uh, being planned or something being planned at least. Um, it can also be signs of something not good happening, but it's at least signs of change. Um, so they, but they'd already changed language in the 10 K not that long ago, a couple of years ago. Um, that made it sound like they were going to develop something or that that was a possibility. Um, so, uh, but like the change in the board members and incorporation, things like that are really significant um, stuff when they talk about, you know, that kind of thing. Um, to a significant extent, it was almost an idle company. If you looked at like what their, their, their office wasn't like really much of an office or anything. And, um, you know, 
you mentioned that it's illiquid and stuff, but it is traded on a major exchange. There's significant public company costs. It's an unusual situation that way. Um, you know, and like a lot of these that have these unusual situations, it's because it was, it's a legacy company of something that existed a long time ago that then slowly got rid of that and became just this thing left over. Um, so that's why it exists in the form that it does and everything. Um, and they go through a little bit of that by Investors Club explaining that. Um, yeah, but I mean, obviously it's, it's, uh, it, it's very cheap. So it, any of these are an interesting investment versus other alternatives that you could have. It's also not, this is not dangerous in terms of like what it has in value versus its actual needs or what, how much it could burn in cash and stuff. It's not significant. And, um, so you're okay with all of that. You don't really have a problem. Um, the, the, I guess the, what I would caution about the downside thing is that I think that the people are very, very optimistic when they value some of the parts on this kind of thing, uh, as opposed to just a very cheap operating business or something. So like if you have a stock that trades at three times EBITDA, people will say, oh, well, one, one day maybe it'll trade at six. They never say it'll trade at 15, although they do. Sometimes things that trade at three go go to 15. I mean, they just get re-rated. And, but here they'll just look and say, okay, well, some realtor told me that it's $700,000 an acre or something, so then I'll plug that in, um, which is fine. That's true. But if, you know, um, if interest rates double from here or something, um, then probably land values in, in Hawaii will be a lot less, you know? Um, so I, I just, I don't think that they apply the same... How'd I put it? Um, apply the same thinking to like, say when there was bidding for U.S. Steel, you know, um, because it has earnings and reported results and everything. People just think of that as sort of like a deep value, whatever thing, and don't put as much weight on people in the industry saying, look, this is how much it would cost to build a steel plant. This is what the value would be and whatever. They'll apply that to real estate, but they won't apply it to like the things I said, like car dealers, this is what people pay for them or steel mills or whatever, you know, operating business, they're seen as junky and stuff. Whereas real estate, they just take it as if it's cash or something like, okay, this is what they told me the appraisal is on it. Um, so I have nothing against it that way. I just think that, you know, it's extraordinarily cheap. But when we mention net nets and things that are traded half a book value and stuff, they're also extraordinarily cheap. You know, I just because it's real estate, I wouldn't say it's a, totally different. They're all what you were, you know, talking about with Santa Monica, um, buying at deep um, discounts to sort of like asset values of some kind, whatever those assets are. Mm -hmm. Got it. Cool. Well, I will put the link to this Value Investors Club uh, in the description if you want to read it. Of course, you have to be a member, but uh, you could be like me. I guess you could be a peasant like me and uh, uh, not have full-time or real-time access, you could be on the delayed version. But you know what? That's okay because a lot of these value ideas uh, don't move too quickly. Uh, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you are listening or watching us here today. Uh, follow me on Twitter at, at Focused Compound. And of course, if you want to get access to our uh, investment write-ups that we have on our website, I think you may actually find one of MLP maybe, uh, going back to 2005, uh, go to focuscompound.com uh, to get access to all that for free. I thank everyone so much for tuning in with the both of us, and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.